morning. How are you? Now, this isn't written down on my anywhere on here yet. This is a freebie. You don't have to pay extra for this. The first song we sang, Marcus, what was that called? The Crown. The one about the crown. We crown you. We crown you. Okay, good, so good title for that song. Very important Greek lesson. There are two words in Greek for crown. One is Stephanos. That's the one we get when we go to heaven. Jesus has already got the crown, and we've already crowned him with the diadem, and he and only he gets to wear the diadem crown. Just a little Greek lesson for you. Now, I wanted to bring my jambalani along with me. I couldn't figure out in the two sermons how to fit soccer into the sermon, and I really still can't, but this was the jambalani. Anybody recognize this ball? That's the one they used to play the World Cup. Now, I had to, I had, when I saw it, it was beautiful. I had to order one. I got one on really good price on, online. And, uh, and so I couldn't fit it in, so there it is. <laughs> but what you really came to, to, to think about, hopefully, is the last days. Hopefully, you got your pen and paper with you, your notes from last week. Add to them this week. Because there's a lot of things we're going to cover very quickly. We're not going to go into complete depth. So, again, if you get something that just sparks your interest, talk to me and we'll fill in the rest of the details. Today we're going to talk about a brief review from last week. But we're going to add to it a little bit. Then we're going to take the theories and we're going to explain them. Then I'm going to share my opinion. And then we're going to have a little fun. First of all, we studied some, what I call the abbreviation of the IBPs from last week, the important biblical principles. The first one we talked about was that the Bible is a simple book. Please, please, don't try to make it complicated. Just keep it simple. Second thing we talked about, uh, the IBP, was the Bible is divided up into three time periods. The first days, which go from Adam to Moses. Second, the middle days, excuse me, that go from Moses to Jesus. And the last days, which we're in, that go from Jesus' first appearance to his second appearance, his second coming. Then we've talked about, and I beg you to think about this deeply, to not avoid, or excuse me, I like that one with Gallagher when he says, when he takes off his hat and he says, no, always, no, never let your mother comb your hair. And I had that same problem. Never let your mother comb your hair when she's mad at your dad. Um, always avoid biblical tunnel vision. Never allow one verse or group of verses to color the rest of the Bible or one area. Very serious. It's so easy to do. And we must guard ourselves against it. Now, let's talk about some new stuff. As we look at the last days, there are some things specifically as we look at these theories that are important biblical principles that we need to apply. There's two of them I'd like to talk about. First one is always use the clear teachings to help the less clear. For example, last week we talked about second. Thessalonians chapter 4. Very clear 
picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ, exactly what's going to take place. No mystery to it, no hidden meanings, just exactly the way it's going to appear, exactly the way it's going to happen. You have the book of Revelation, for example, not so clear. You have some prophecies in the Old Testament that are not so clear. What we want to do is we want to think about this to not build our belief structure around things like Revelation and those unclear scriptures, but build it around the clear, the simple passages like 2 Thessalonians 4. Second, IBP for the morning. Why was Revelation written? That's more of a question. Actually, the answer to that is the important biblical principle. As we prepare to look at these theories, the return of Christ, we need to first ask, why was Revelation written? Now, many people out there, scholars, will tell you that Revelation was written to help help us to know the time of Jesus' return. Now, we go back to the other IBPs because these things kind of lay on each other and depend on each other. We're used to use these clear teaching. Here's a clear scripture. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. No one knows about that hour or that day or that hour, not even the angels nor the Son, but only the Father. This is spoken by Jesus in that 24th chapter that I spoke of last week that talks about the second coming, talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. But here he's clearly talking about the second coming. He says, I don't know. Now, I'm not going to get into how the Father can know something and the Son not know. That's a whole other sermon, a whole other discussion. If you'd like to have that, we can sit down and have that. But what I want to talk about is the clear idea here that Jesus tells John, when you read the book of Revelation, Jesus is telling John what to write down in Revelation. And if Jesus didn't know when he was coming back, how could he tell John the timing and the events that are going to go along with it? To look at the why, we also need to look at the when. When was Revelation written? Revelation was written around 90 AD. It actually is the last book in the Bible, and it is the last book in the Bible. Christians at that time had been, were being, and would continue to be severely persecuted. The cruel joke down at the Colosseum in Rome was, what's the score? Lions 24, Christians nothing. Because they would actually take live human beings put them in the Colosseum, release hungry, ravenous lions, and watch them be, these human beings be torn to bits just because they were Christians. Something else they would do that's just horrific. They would dip the Christians in oil, light them on fire, and then use the burning Christians to light their nighttime garden party. Why was Revelation written? Not because it was to tell us the time Jesus returned. It was to give hope to these persecuted Christians. Now let's take a look at the theories. All the theories that we're going to look at surround the millennium. In fact, you'll see that clearly in each of their names. 
The millennium is the thousand-year reign of Jesus mentioned in Revelation 20. Now, we're going to look at four major theories. There are other lesser-held theories that we really don't have time to go into. But I've got notes on those, and if you're interested, we can, can jot your note on your paper, and then we can talk about that later. The first of the four major theories is the historical premillennialism. It was very popular in very early Christianity. It takes the span of history and equates that to seven days of creation, with each of the seven days being a thousand years. Taking the scripture, a, thousand, a day is a thousand years, the Lord, a, a, a thousand years is a day. So the earth, the history of the earth is only a thousand years in length, or, excuse me, 7,000 years in length under this theory. The Antichrist appears ahead of the seven years of tribulation. After that, there is a visible rapture, Christ's return, a thousand year peaceful reign of Christ on earth, which is the last of the seven days. So that last, that that last thousand years is the last is that last day. The Christians live in a celestial city called New Jerusalem. The Christians have spiritual bodies, and after the thousand years comes the judgment. The next is dispensational premillennialism, often just shortened to premillennialism. One thing that was very interesting about this view is that when I studied this is I found out that in the early church it was considered a heresy to believe this structure, this theory. It reappeared around 1830 and was spread, the theory was spread largely, the spread of this theory was largely credited to the publishing of the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909. Further popularized in the seven, 1970s by the book The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. There are several versions of this theory. The difference between each version has to do with the timing of the secret rapture. There are at least two in all of the theories, and sometimes three separate second comings in the various versions. The main emphasis is the millennium, which is the thousand-year peaceful reign of Christ. The thousand years are preceded by a seven-year tribulation, which is divided up into two three-and-a-half-year periods. The most popular view of this theory is, the, uh, is that the secret rapture occurs just before the seven years of tribulation began, or the pre-trib rapture. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is loosed for a season, and then comes the, rev comes the, comes the judgment. The third theory is post-millennialism. This appeared in the 19th century, and for my friends who are Steeler fans, that's the 1800s. 
In this theory, things get better and better. Eventually, everyone's converted to Christianity, culminating in a thousand years of righteousness and peace. After the millennium, Jesus returns, resurrects the dead Christians, and judgment day occurs. Now, in this theory, there is no real mention of a rapture or of tribulation. All millennialism. This was held in the first and second century Christians and is still popular in some circles today. The millennium in amillennialism is not viewed like all the others as a literal thousand years. And all the others theories that we've looked at, they were all literal thousand years. Amillennialism looks at the millennium as a time period that starts with the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and ends with the second coming of Christ, the time of the church. Christ reigns over his church for that period of time, that millennium. Good and evil continue. Things get worse and worse as time goes on. And then suddenly the millennium ends with the second coming of Christ immediately followed by the judgment. Revelation in amillennialism is viewed as symbolic, not literal. The Antichrist is a figurative character, not an actual person. In other words, it's those things that are anti-Christ as opposed to a person called the Antichrist. Now, my opinion. When I share my opinion... From in lessons or in a sermon, I always caution anyone listening, this is my opinion and nothing more. When you get to see St. Peter or you get there in front of God and you say, yes, but Keith said, I'm not sure it's going to hold as much weight as his opinion. Let's go back to the IBPs. Why was Revelation written? was written to encourage the persecuted Christians. The amillennial theory does that. It looks at Revelation as seeing seven distinct cycles, seven, the same story seven time, told seven times in seven different ways. There's an introduction with the the letters and those kind of things. There's a little bit of a conclusion, but the middle of the book are seven cycles, each of them beginning with the first coming of Christ and ending with the second coming of Christ. So it emphasizes the point to the reader that Jesus came, Jesus will return, Jesus will reward the faithful. In other words, to those persecuted Christians, it says Jesus wins in the end. 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 It's just as simple as that. Now let's have some fun. Sort of an IBP, but not really, maybe. As you look at Revelation and the symbolism of Revelation, you get confused. So let's look at some symbols that we understand. 
Everybody understand those symbols? The donkey, the elephant, Democratic, Republican. Now let's say we print this slide, wrap it up, put it in a time capsule, and in the year 4010, they open it up. Will people 2,000 years from now understand our simple symbols that we clearly understand? Do you, do we, understand the symbols that were 2,000 years old plus? Now, I'm sure with enough study and enough work, you can look at the symbols of the book of Revelation and come up with maybe most, some, of understanding of those symbols. But why not stick to the simple? Jesus wins in the end. That's what Revelation is all about. Don't get caught up in all the stuff. Just see the message that Jesus was trying to deliver through John to the persecuted Christians and to us. Jesus wins in the end. I knew I was going to do this. You know, you practice something, you practice something, and no matter what happens, oh, here it is. There was one theory that I forgot, and I just realized that. And I can't believe I did that. There are really five major theories. And that is the theory, the pro-millennial theory. Everybody knows what that one is? Have you heard that one before? Jesus, it's a simple one. Jesus is coming back, and I'm for it. I'm pro-Jesus. All right? That's really, in a nutshell, maybe the one we should stick with. Now, I hope you've written down those IBPs and you remember them. I hope you've enjoyed looking at the theories briefly. And it might have been interesting, hopefully. But it really doesn't matter if you agree with my opinion or if I agree with your opinion. Does it matter which theory you hold? Will Christ take a vote and come back the way that's most popular at that time? What matters is that all the various theories have one thing in common. Jesus returns and takes his people home. In other words, Jesus wins in the end. I can't wait. How about you?